welcome to season two of On the Outskirts. With me, Sophia Rosemary and Alice Catherine. Hi everyone, as you know, we're dedicating a different episode in this series to a different charity each week. Um, And this week we would like to dedicate our show notes to a number of different women's health charities. Um, This is in light of uh, a few different topics that we touch upon in this episode around women's health um, and a couple of stories which are circulating in the news at the moment, as well as the amazing body form campaign, hashtag womb stories, um, which was released earlier on in the week. So we're going to link a few charities and a few different resources for you guys to have a look at that we think are super important around um, women's health and the work that needs to be done in this area from um, inequalities to research to supporting women. So as always you can find everything in the show notes and we'll also be linking everything that we mentioned throughout this um, podcast in the show notes as well. How are you? I'm good. I'm not bad. Um, I feel like we always talk about the weather and that sets the tone for the episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that. Then when you asked me, I thought, don't mention but, the weather. Don't mention the weather. <laughs> <and move> on. <laughs> I'm just looking out my window and it's um, grey, gloomy. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I've uh, felt this week. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been a pretty miserable week hasn't it It doesn't feel like July at all no it doesn't it feels like summer is I've been seeing things about Wimbledon on on the tv not that I'm much of a follower of Wimbledon but it's like that feels very summery to me and I'm just not there and yeah I've always wanted to go to um, Wimbledon it's one of the only sports that I've ever watched on um, on tv I think there was a year where I think it was the year that I don't know if she's won a couple of times. Um, tennis fans are cringing right now. But Maria Sharapova, I remember she won. And I got really invested in the year that she won. And I cried when she won. <laughs> and I'm remotely sporty at all. But I just remember thinking, like, yeah, I want to I wanna play tennis. Like, if I was going to play any sport, I'd love to be good at um, tennis, mainly for the clothes. But Yeah, it's quite chic, isn't it, tennis? Yeah, that's cool. Tennis fans are definitely rolling their eyes at us right now. <laughs> um but yeah, it just doesn't feel very summery. But it's it's been a funny old week, isn't there? I feel like there's um I don't know if you found this, but I think there's been a lot of news, a lot of like current events, mm. um that are just kind of like really blown things out of the water. And there's there's quite a lot to unpack this week, isn't there? You mean as opposed to the rest of the year that's been? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's all in theme with 2020, isn't it? Just a mad a mad year. Um, yeah, is there's always I, sometimes I don't know if it's I mean there's obviously more happening that's just like facts but not more happening in a sense but more there's more like widespread big sort of movements uproar happening you know health pandemic more things that are affecting more people but I just mean in terms of like I don't know if sometimes in my head I don't know if it's that because we're in lockdown and I'm on my phone more I'm consuming more news and then I'm carrying this I'm sort of because there's only so many news articles you can consume per day per week per month whatever so you know 
half the time we talk and we tell each other things and, I'm, and you're like oh have you heard of this and I'm like oh no I've not heard of that and then vice versa um, because you can only consume so much as one person and you can only worry about so much as one person as well so sometimes I'm like oh is it because I'm sitting on my phone more and I'm spending more hours scrolling and reading the news and stuff um, or is it just because the world is declining uh, I don't know feel like there's a sense of cabin fever a bit doesn't there and I think it goes back to that whole thing of social media being a real echo chamber so there'll be news articles that are really sort of like rotating on my Twitter feed and I think oh my god this is like you know an uproar at the minute and then you'll speak to other people say say like I'll mention something to you and you'll be like oh I've not heard about that so I think yeah it's a case of like cabin fever and your your social media feed sensationalizing a story more to you does that make sense I don't know but yeah it does it feels like a mad old year I mean the cherry on the cake being Kanye West running for presidency yes oh my god how have we not talked about this before um <laughs> I say before because we always have like a little a little debrief don't we before the podcast um yeah my god I mean words escape me I mean I kind of knew it was happening because he's sort of been threatening it for a while now but yeah I just uh, take uh, just the idea of him being president just takes me further into this sort of idea that we're in living through a black mirror era <laughs> there's some sort of dystopian like yeah it's very in theme with 2020 isn't it <laughs> it's, it's just the last thing that this year needed I think um to make us feel even further unsettled in ourselves um yeah, that's just one of the many stories this week that have been making me feel maybe slightly, yeah, maybe unsettled is a good word. It's weird because it feels like we've become more savvy to what's kind of been put out there to us, uh, especially I think Tr Donald Trump's a great example of this, of like, we can tell when he's sort of like, um, it's all sm smoke screens and mirrors. Um I think a good example of that is, you know, the, the Epstein case at the minute, um, you know, about how it feels like his friendship with Epstein's kind of being deleted out of history and people are kind of calling, calling that out. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, there's still a lot of people out there who are very um, naive to it and kind of uh, buy, buy into the, the, the facade of it all. And that's what's kind of scary is I feel like it's got two extremes. Um, but you were talking about um, that open letter that Harper's Bazaar wrote about this week. Oh yeah, something that caught my attention this week was I don't know if you I don't know if it was an open letter or I don't really know what it was. Um, it was on Harper's.org, I think, um, and basically was sort of presenting itself as this letter condemning cancel culture and why we need to live in an era where open debate is allowed. And we have a safe space and sort of the intentions were behind it. The, t the intentions behind it, I, I don't think, were sort of like malicious. Um, but then what sort of caused so much controversy is the um, diverse range of people that have signed it and sort of put their name to it. Um, and so you've got, for, for like a stark contrast, for example, you've got Gloria Steinman, who's um huge feminist. And then you've also got... Um, J.K. Rowling, who's recently and in the past a lot been very vocal about um, her views on the trans community. It was like this stark contrast, like you can't really have a letter that's taken seriously about 
um, cancel culture and have someone like J.K. Rowling sign it because she's essentially saying that she just isn't open to criticism. Self-serving, I guess, in her case. Because at the minute she's kind of cancelled. She's not cancelled, but, well, yeah, she's under huge scrutiny for her controversial opinions on the trans community. Yeah, exactly. Like It's like she's complaining about the trans community speaking up when she's using her huge platform to oppress them and then saying that, you know, oh, we need to get rid of cancel culture. It's like, no, you need to get bad of your, you need to get rid of your warped <laughs> views, like, on, on the world. It seemed like people had signed it for all different reasons. Like, there was a number of controversial figures who signed it, and then a number of people that have made human rights their, like, life work that had signed it. So it was just really, it opened up this really big debate about what this letter, what the intentions behind this letter really were. So it perpetuates as well as going back to like the jk rowling signing it it perpetuates this idea that and it seems to be um what spurs a lot of trolls on uh, on twitter and and social media and instagram and all of that jazz is um they're allowed to be mean because hey they're allowed to have an opinion like you can't stop my opinion i i'm allowed to say what i want and it's like and i guess it kind of feels like J.K. Rowland's signing an agreement of, you know, putting an end to cancel culture. It's her almost encouraging this this idea of, well, I'm allowed my opinion. That's what I mean. It's just, it was a bit tone deaf um, and disconnected from, like, the reality that we're living in and the era that we're living in. So I don't know whether a few people that had signed it had sort of... It was, it was almost as if everybody's read that letter and taken something different away from it. Yeah. But it would be interesting to know whether half the people would have signed it if they'd have known some of the other people that were signing it um but yeah interesting um and I think it's obviously an interesting topic anyway because you know we we see sort of end cancel culture hashtags all the time don't we but there is this huge difference between we've seen it with the Black Lives Matter movement um people saying oh we need to end cancel culture and it's like well no you're being called out on your racism there's a difference that's not cancel culture it's just you being held accountable for the things that you've done wrong. And it's sort of, it's the sort of same with the JK, um, similar to the JK Rowling situation. It's um, it's the same sort of thing. It's like you're, you're confusing cancel culture with criticism of a, a hugely oppressed community of people. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Do you know what I mean? So it's, um, I think that was what caused sort of the big uproar around that. But yeah. There's lots to be read on the internet about that as well, and there's lots of sort of videos on YouTube about it that are quite interesting. Yeah, there is. There's there's so much. Uh, a cancel culture in itself is a really meaty topic, isn't it? That we could probably um, back and forth with for for ages because it is. I think it's it's such a funny one because I think the thing with cancel culture is that it doesn't allow for mistakes. Which as humans, we are all prone to making mistakes, and it also um, stops giving people. It stops it stops the ability for people to learn mm. and obviously with learning you know you do make mistakes along the way and that's why cancel culture can be really toxic um but I don't think that's what I read the link you sent me of the Harper's Bazaar letter and I don't think that's what it was trying to I don't think that's what it was trying to convey it mentioned about Donald Trump a lot in the letter about how and I guess it comes back to as I was just saying about how he edits what you see on Twitter and how this whole, this whole argument that he just deletes these aspects of his life that he doesn't want you to know about. But yeah, I guess people like J.K. Rowling have now sort of discredited 
that's what I mean. It sort of came across as quite, I mean, I, I saw a video where somebody was likening it to um, the Gal Gadot's Imagine video, the celebrity video. It was like, it just came across as quite um, tone off and just like, yeah, just disconnected. And then I think because of the, the people that, the mix of people that signed it just completely discredited the, the intent of what it was meant to be anyway. So now we'll never know, I guess. <laughs> but um, I don't really... I mean, what does that really do anyway? A load of famous authors signing a letter. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know like what it was intended to actually do. But um, anything like happy or nice that you've seen on the internet this week? Um, have you seen anything nice? <laughs> anything like and um, bubbly? Like to share. Body form, a new body form um, that was going around this week. That was nice. Um, this is around the campaign they're doing, which is hashtag. Womb, womb, womb stories if I can get my words out I mean we'll link it below so that you can watch it um but yeah I think it's nice when any sort of big um brand comes out uh that's benefiting from women's pain essentially um comes out and sort of makes inclusive content rather than I mean it's such a stretch from I mean I should say what the the, the video actually is it just sort of I mean, it's hard to explain it, isn't it? It's like a powerful portrayal, an illustration of like women's pain and like different wombs and how people, um, just different women's health issues and how different bodies experience them. Um, Periods aren't just period full stop. You get a period and that's how it works, which I think sex education teaches you a lot, doesn't it? It teaches this idea that, you know, you'll... uh, for a week every month you'll come on your period and you may experience pains and you make it kind of sort of explains the fact that periods are different for everyone um and they come with added health issues and complications and um periods mean different things to different women so there are some women who will celebrate um receiving their period because you know they don't want children and there'll be other women who um it's it's bad news to come on their period for a million different reasons um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know if this is if the hashtag womb stories campaign is going to be one of many because this this specific one was focused around um, endometriosis as far as I know um, and it says in the caption on Instagram um, one in ten women <laughs> one in ten women suffer from um, endometriosis yet it takes on average about seven to eight years to diagnose which is crazy um, but also not surprising um as someone who's suffered with their own like female health issues that have taken from the age of 16 to what am I now 28 to just start getting to grips with um so yeah it it was just it was just nice to see and I think especially I think I was reading the other day as well um in terms of like sanitary products I saw a tweet I mean I don't know how true it is that um a lot of sanitary products and I know they've got lots of lots of toxic ingredients in them or used to but some of them were made with like bleach and asbestos which would make you bleed more so you buy more of them that's extremely yeah I mean I don't know how true that is but I definitely I was definitely advised to stop using I mean I only use like 100% cotton stuff now and which would advise everybody to do and um but yeah, just it, it still feels like we've got um, a mountain to climb in terms of like female health and how it's represented, the way it's spoken about. Um, there's just so there's just so much to sort of unpack there, isn't there? Yeah, I think the nice thing about um, Body Forms Womb Stories um, campaign though is 
if it's such a stark contrast from if you look at um sanitary products adverts in the 90s and early noughties and still now in some ways um they were so irrelevant to the product that they were um that they were advertising or trying to sell to you. They were these beautiful women on the beach um, who were like sun-kissed and like, was. I guess the idea was that they were supposed to feel f free and like they weren't on their period. And it's just, it was just unrealistic. And, and to say that we've gone from, you know, those kind of adverts which have got like this kind, which promote this, um, this really um, media, media okayed idea of beauty to mm. doing something like womb stories is actually really progressive and just re really positive and in the right direction I guess that's how I see it anyway still a long way to go like you said and so many different avenues that you know more brands like body form need to be talking about but it definitely feels like a step in the right direction yeah it's sort of like what we saw on I May Destroy You that we talked about on the last episode um about period blood uh, being sort of portrayed in a narrative on the BBC was huge and a sanitary towel, just things like that. It's just normalising these things that women have to do and that are a huge part of our lives rather than attaching shame and stigma to them. And I think that's what the body form um, campaign is doing so well. It's just, it's making, it's making women's issues accessible and sort of, not accessible, but sort of... <clears throat> It's portraying them in the way that like masses of people can understand even men as well and um non-binary people like it's it's just it's just really important and a, and a huge step in the right direction but then whenever something like that does happen it makes me think also why why don't we already have stuff like this yeah because um, it's just such again to us it's second nature isn't it as as people that experience periods um it's it's normal to us and it's normal to chat amongst our friendship groups about things like that but then when it comes to the mass media there's sort of this like silence around it and shame um, and we really need to like step away from that I think because half the time shame is what's shame is what and, and silence is what stops people from sort of getting conditions diagnosed and um, early diagnosis is key to like happiness isn't it and sort of yeah. Which leads really nicely onto um, one of the news stories that I picked up on this week um, about women who basically their lives have been ruined by having these um, vaginal fitted um, um, mesh pieces, which mm -hmm. I think um, they helped a number of health um, issues. I think incontinency was one of the um, the main ones that these mesh pieces were fitted for. And... Um, these women were coming forward and saying, you know, they're, they're in serious pain, they're bleeding, and um, health experts were just sort of, for want of a better word, fobbing them off um, by saying, oh, it's just women problems, it's just your period. And it's now come out that um, the, these mesh implants were really problematic, and, you know, now health officials are having to basically apologise for those failures. And it's now sort of, you know, it let it kind of lends itself to the story of, um, do you know, do we still treat women's issues in quite an arrogant way, like, oh, it's just, it's just women's problems. Your body is built for experiencing pain, therefore, 
deal with it and it's like it doesn't mean we're meant to be in the maximum amount of pain like like that you're dismissing you know you just you're dismissing a diagnosis of something which could be quite serious um there was also um an epilepsy drug which um had effect had affected pregnant women which was being issued which had stopped i think it was like early 80s but um health officials are only just sort of acknowledging that now and about how women women were kind of complaining about it at the time and no one was being heard there's just so many examples and i think well you hear a lot with like the pill don't you like every second person you know has got a story about how the pills like ruin their life or giving them depression or giving them serious acne and I think like we'll in the future we'll hopefully see more inquests into different sorts of contraception as well and how they've drastically affected the health and mental health of um of women so yeah there's just there's so many things that just are just wrong (laughs) yeah and I mean um I've spoke about this on our podcast before I don't use hormonal contraception anymore like I've made it I've made it very clear my views on on using hormonal contraception it just didn't work for me um and there was that story that came out last year about how you didn't actually have to take a break every month on the pill it was all just sort of like a a marketing ploy to an you know to kind of give men and women the comfort of getting a period so they didn't know they were getting pregnant it was all to do with that and it just makes yeah there are a million different avenues that we could um explore whilst talking about about women's health issues 100 percent. and I think from someone who spent a lot of time in like the offices of gynecologists um, the thing I learned is just don't take any one person's opinion as sort of fact like question everything get multiple opinions and also trust your gut because Half the time, I mean, I wouldn't have got my diagnosis if I'd have not pressed for something more. If I'd have not, if there wasn't something in my head saying, there's something not right here, this is not right, you're not, what what you're being told is not right, then I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. So, yeah, it's a shame, it's a shame though that we have to, um, that we have to do that. That you have to second guess. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, completely. That you weren't able to just go to a doctor and feel like you could confide in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trust what you were saying and actually take you seriously on what you're saying that you had to then go and sort of research yourself and seek a second opinion it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way at all I've heard people say that um one of my friends was saying that she went to a doctor's once because she stopped her periods for some reason and um the doctor was like oh well, you're one of the lucky ones then because her periods had stopped like there's so you hear so many horror stories like that don't you where you just like you can't even fathom. Like, Sorry, I laughed then, but I laughed that it was a laugh in disbelief. It wasn't a laugh as in. No. But yeah, again, this is like a meaty topic that we could talk about all day. It definitely is. I feel like, I was going to say, I feel like we've gone on a tangent, but not not at all because it's an important subject and it's one I know we both feel really passionately about. Um, oh, I just do want to mention as well, um, one of somebody we both know on Instagram called Hannah Jones has created a page called Float and Fruit, which is a community that shares awareness um, and helps to beat stigma around female health issues over on Instagram. So I'll, we'll link that below for you guys as well, because it's um, it's just really informative and it's great to see like more inclusive space. That. Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? Um, I was going to say it's cute because it is. it does look aesthetically cute. But <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah um but yeah I just wanted to give that a little shout out as well um Uh, what have you been watching so I have been watching oh I've been watching so much um 
I've been watching Mrs. America. Did you watch it? I did, because you told me to. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think I would have heard, heard of it, because I feel like it's not, it's either not been advertised well, or I don't know, I feel like I've not, I'm always, I'm always on it with like TV shows, but that one I didn't see it at all. But um, yeah, what did you think? I'll let you go first, because I feel like you were excited about it. I was. So I was the same. Um, I feel like I read about it somewhere. Um, I'm going to say about a month ago, if not longer. And it just stuck with me because it's right up my street. So if you've not, um, if you've not heard of Mrs. America yet, or you've not watched it, um, I'll give you a brief synopsis. It's basically around um, the ERA, so the Equal Rights Amendment, and um, the feminist movement, which came with that, and the amazing women such as Gloria Steinem, um, who's one of many who kind of um, advocated this movement. Happened in the 1970s, um, and it's, uh, I guess, a huge part of women's rights history. Um, it was around the same time that Shirley Chisholm, who was a um, a black lady, was running for office. So it was just a very historical um, moment in time um, for the feminist movement. Um, and then on the flip side of these incredible women who were fighting for women's rights, you also had um, a lady called Phil. I'm going to say a second name wrong, I think. Phil yeah, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Phyllis Schlafly. And she was basically um, a lady who had very far right beliefs, who um, believed that actually um, women's liberation, she kind of argued that women's liberation oppressed women and scared women and would leave them in a worse uh, situation than they were now and actually freedom was she the way she put it was freedom was at home for women <laughs> which makes me laugh but yeah but... <laughs> it's got a um I, I mean I've finished the first episode and I have to say I'm, I'm not like I'm not hungry for more but uh I think Gloria um Steinem's character shows up at the end does she of first episode I think her character is very well cast like he looks just like it what's she called again the actress comedy actress isn't she mainly right Rose Bryan yeah uh so well cast like she looks just like she looked back then like in the 60s and 70s but um but yeah, I don't really know what to expect from it yet. It's, we were talking about it, weren't we? It's from the makers of Mad Men. So you feel like stylistically and like aesthetically it's going to be pleasing to watch. Like there's a lot of nice dresses and uh, nice like sets and stuff. But um, but yeah, can't really, I don't really have much of an opinion on it yet other than um, I'm actually reading one of, I got a couple of Gloria Steinem's books uh, for my birthday. So I just started last night, um, My Life on the Road, which is, um for anyone that's not heard of it like essentially a book about um her experiences like as it's I think it starts off like um from her childhood and then like moving house a lot and how that kind of set the tone for her um life as like an activist um and then that's someone that was constantly moving um and then it's also that's sort of like a nice metaphor for like feminism as well how it's constantly moving and evolving um so yeah, but again, I've not read much of it yet, so I can't give an opinion. Closer <laughs> to saying like a movement should should be constantly moving, which I guess is the point of it. It's like it's always progressive, isn't it? I think I, I've got to say I, I'm really I'm loving it so far. I was a huge fan of Mad Men, um, and as you all know, that I 
I, I love like the kind of mid-centuries culture um so it's it was probably going to be a no-brainer that I would absolutely adore it because the creators of Mad Men um do the six the 50s 60s and 70s so well um their attention to detail is second to none um but we were kind of talk discussing before recording this podcast about how um you know the program can almost in a way be discredited because it kind of um idealizes this idea of women having cat fights mm. and but I and I get that and I think maybe you can argue that maybe the program is a little bit problematic because it stylizes history but I think I, I enjoyed it because as a fan of Mad Men it felt and I said this to Alice before recorded it felt like the flip side of Mad Men so Mad Men kind of glorified sexism that happened in the 60s and 70s and almost made it seem really like homely and nostalgic whereas this kind of feel, felt like um the woman's point of view from the 60s and 70s so that's I guess what I kind of enjoyed about it I mean I did and we were also talking about this as well that um I did see a, an article in the Guardian where Gloria Steinman said that like back in May she'd watched it obviously because it's come out in America first um and that she thought it was a bit ridiculous but I mean again I can't I feel like I can't really I'm gonna I'm still gonna watch it and then sort of form an opinion afterwards I think um which I think is the best way to watch any tv show you don't need to go into it thinking it's going to be like the best thing ever do you but yeah I think um it must be strange to have lived through a time and then see sort of well-known actresses and um sort of like portray your life on screen so I can imagine it's a bit like ooh there's a bit of disconnect there um and then obviously like not all of it is going to be factual as well so it'd be interesting to see where it goes yeah I just think it's nice that it puts people um you know people like Gloria Steinem's name back on the map so I hope that you know people watch it and then do the research afterwards so you know are able to differentiate facts from fiction um she's done a lot over her like many years she's been an activist and like a feminist for I think she hasn't she created something like over like countless like non-profit organizations like um I mean I I first sort of got into her through her writing I think there was a quote something like because she was a journalist wasn't she she created like the first women's like magazine or something um journalist writer she wrote for like numerous different magazines um publications um before writing her own books there's a quote and it's something like writing writing is the only thing that when I'm doing it I realize I shouldn't be doing anything else or something like that and I feel like in in like that sort of like she's sort of a bit like what um I get the same vibe from her as I get from like Joan Didion you know like that's there's like a few sort of women writers that really um not few women writers sorry but there's like few few women writers that I um trying to think of the word like really you know when you're like reading reading a book and sometimes you you finish it and you're like oh yeah but then there's like few books that really have like um work really stays with you yeah and I feel like she's very like quotable like um like Joan Didion like a lot of her lines and the way she sort of composes her like work it really like something about it just sort of etches into your into your brain a lot of Gloria Steinem's work is very quotable which is great because it does it sticks with you and it resonates with you and that's that I guess that's the beauty of it um so have you watched any are there any tv shows that you that you've been watching that have kind of struck a chord with you 
Um, I've been continuing with I May Destroy You, which we won't talk about too much, but um, I think we're up to like episode nine on there now as we record this. Um, I mean, that show just blows me away. That's all I'm going to say. Like the continual like involvement of the characters and their narratives and even and holding each other accountable and um, the twists and turns in their like in their pain and how they then go on to like cause pain to others it's just it's just so well done um I've also been watching on a lighter note um Unsolved Mysteries I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix <laughs> yeah I love it I don't know why I giggled then like a schoolgirl. um the first few were really dark and really sort of um dramatic and sad and tragic and then there was one about aliens that just randomly popped up and just really <laughs> loved the tone and I've got a lot of time for a, a documentary about aliens like I mean was it earlier this year that uh, NASA released some footage of um, a UFO I don't know about that but everyone, that seems everyone was like oh my god aliens have basically been confirmed but no one gives a shit because there's so much other stuff going on in 2020 <laughs> of all the things Save it until 2021, please, NASA. <laughs> it was like it was like some old footage from like a fighter plane or something. Yeah, the the U.S. Department of Defense has released three declassified videos of unexplained aerial aerial phenomena. I've got so uh, much time for this. Watch the video, and it's like a black and white speck. <laughs> it doesn't really show much, but I mean. UFOs do exist though don't they like it's all that means is unidentified flying object so those do exist like, oh so this is becoming one of those type of podcasts is it <laughs> they do exist like no one can argue that like there are the many many unidentified flying objects that doesn't mean that it's aliens like flying around that just means that it's something <laughs> just means that it's something that's unidentifiable um to watch strange but true I think it was on on a Friday night on, in the 90s and it was where like people sent in their home like they're not homemade but it was homemade like <laughs> camcorder footage of like ghosts and poltergeists and UFOs and the unsolved mysteries kind of reminded me of that um I had a lot of time for it <laughs> I love stuff like that what else have I watched I watched a hard-hitting documentary on Netflix called Athlete A, um, which focused on gymnasts who survived the USA gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser, I think it was called, um, and the abuse, the abuse that they experienced because of um, because of him um, during their time as gymnasts, um, and it sort of just like exposes the toxic culture that um, gymnasts experience. Um, it's just just really disturbing to be honest <laughs> really disturbing watch um but then you sort of see them all come together for the court case at the end all of the victims um and it's sort of quite a um an empowering ending um but I was watching it I wasn't even surprised when I was watching it because you just sort of think that we, we see it all the time don't we like um predatory men that somehow we'll somehow find themselves in these whether they find themselves in these positions of power or they seek them out because of their predatory sort of mindset I don't I don't I don't know but um it's no coincidence that a lot of these predatory men end up being men that are in positions of power or around children all the time you know like we see it with doctors and uh priests and you, you know what I mean it's sort of like what what 
what comes first like if you sort out this position because you want to be in a position where you can practice your predatory behavior and abuse people and you'll still have a way to sort of cover it up because people see you as a, a figure of power and how could you how could you possibly abuse children when you're helping them because he was a doctor he used to help them with their injuries post um you know like shows and a lot of a lot of these girls were like olympic athletes um so we'd sort of travel around the world with them um and he just abused his power but I, I do find that whole thing interesting like you know did you did you arrive at this position because you've always had this predatory behavior and you've tried to like find a way to cover that up or are you, is it being in this position around young underage females that's triggered your predatory behavior do you know from a psychology point of view I, I do find it interesting it's like what what sort of what uh, yeah, I, I just find it really interesting and then because it just comes across as it comes across as quite evil to think that someone could have this predatory part of them and part of their brain and then they sort of seek out this job based on whether it will have the ability to help them cover their tracks along the way in the yeah especially when you're a doctor because you'd like to think that most people's um most people study medicine because they have this um this desire to help people yeah. so then when they abuse that position of power it just it leaves a really bad taste in your mouth because they are trust they're, they're trusted professionals aren't they um they're like confidence the people that you famous serial killer that injected loads of victims and killed them harold shipman shipman yeah it's like stuff like that it always blows my mind i'm like did you like what came first the chicken or the egg <laughs> do you know yeah. what i mean it's like what because it, it's it's almost easier to think that it's you know the other way around and it's sort of you know it's it's something that's been triggered whilst they've been in that position i don't know it's all very dark but yeah he had this sort of way of he so he had this way of sort of like touching the girls that he tried to like pass off as um sports therapy and like a way of sort of easing their injuries and it was just all very um disgusting to be honest um just how long he got away with it for and also a lot of the girls in the documentary were he'd do a lot of it whilst the girls were in the same room as their mums so they'd be on the table and their mums would just be like but he'd stand in a way that you wouldn't be able to see what he was doing and there's just something so dark about that that the idea that your child could be abused literally right in front of you and you don't know and they don't know any better because it's what he's been doing to them the whole time it's just yeah and there's like um I think it's scary as well because there's an arrogance there like you're you think you're so untouchable that you can even act that way in front of you know a young a young child's parents it's just it's it's really really it's really harrowing isn't it yeah he really tries to like normalize it like when you see bits of footage when he's sort of getting questioned he really has tried to normalize his like pattern of abuse in a way that he's trying to tie it into you know this is what I do it I'm a doctor and it's like <laughs> just gross but yeah subject of which I think um leads leads really well from athlete a is um I watched an incredible uh documentary this week uh which I put it on my stories that you had to rent it from um, Amazon, which I foolishly did. But uh, I take that back because you can watch it for free on Amazon or Sky Documentary. How much did you pay? 
<laughs> I only paid four pounds, but still, but the documentary is called On the Record, um, and it's a really compelling documentary. It's um, it's mainly based around a lady called Drew Dixon, who used to work um, in A&R as an A&R exec, I should say. So she was high up um, for Def Jam Records. And it's about the um, sexual harassment and inevitably um, the, the the rape she experienced um, by the hands of Russell Simmons, who is the co- one of the co-founders of, or what, yeah, was one of the co-founders of um, Def Jam Records. Um, she then goes on to work for Arista Records and then suffers um, the same harassment under the hands of L.A. Reid, who was a big-time music exec. Um, and it's all about her experiences within the music industry. Um, her, she specifically works within um, the hip-hop industry and it's all about um, the, mis- the misogyny um, that's kind of glorified in the music industry. And it's not just in hip-hop, it's in all different genres. So it gives examples of, you know, lyrics that you'll find in Rolling Stones songs, the Beatles songs, um, Tom Jones songs, um, a lot of kind of like R&B and hip-hop music um, and about how misogyny is actually normalised and glorified and how um you know the music industry is very male populated and there are these women such as Drew Dixon who have an innate talent um and their careers are kind of put to a halt because of the harassment that they've experienced so she actually ended up quitting the music industry um because of the experiences she'd had um and it was just, yeah, a, a really tragic story um, to watch about, but also incredibly um, empowering um, how she kind of finds the strength to come forward. Um, the documentary also touches upon the um, the Me Too movement and about how um, it was founded by black women, but actually it ended up being a movement which erased black women. Mm-hmm. Basically, it got hi- it sort of almost got, I don't want to use this word because it's still an important movement, but it kind of got hijacked, you could say, by a particular typecast of women. So mm-hmm. they were typically blonde, they were typically successful. Mm-hmm. And it kind of talks about how we only want to hear about, the media only want to hear hears about these Me Too cases when they come from a certain type of women. Well, it, it, just, it did, didn't it? It sort of glamorised it and sort of put it on this pedestal that, that oh, this is this is happening in Hollywood. This is happening in, like, big producer offices and stuff. And it's like, no, this is happening in everyday workplaces of, like, working class people and beyond. It's, like, marginalised people. It's, it, like what you say now, sometimes when, when you do think about the Me Too movement, you do sort of think of A-list white celebrity women, which is wrong, isn't it? It's... Yeah, completely. Almost like women of privilege in their own right. Um, And um, Drew Dixon talks about how, um, especially working in um, the hip hop industry, um, there was like this real stigma about a black woman um, coming out and calling out a black man for sexual harassment. Because within um, the black community um, in America, it almost felt like a a betrayal especially because you know there's this history of um lynchings that happened in america where black men were accused of sexual harassment against white women unfoundly and incorrectly and that was kind of like an i'm gonna say an excuse to lynch these innocent men and so how you know in modern day times for a black woman to then call out 
rape from a black man, it almost kind of has connotations with, with lynching. And so it's seen as a betrayal. And it, it was just a really sad and interesting documentary. And I just found it, I thought it was really, really important to sort of hear hear about those experiences from, from black women. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely have to give that one a watch. Um, I feel like our, <laughs> our podcast episodes are sort of getting darker and darker as uh, as they go on, but it's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, this was supposed to be light-hearted. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, obviously massively um, relevant, isn't it? And it's, um, like you say, it does sort of tie in with Athlete A. It's these men that continue to abuse their positions of power and it's how we sort of prevent that going forward and protect and protect vulnerable people. Um, it seems like a mountain to climb, doesn't it? Everything sort of does at the minute. Well, especially, I think it feels like a mountain to climb as well, especially when a lot of industries out there where this is rife, they are male populated. So it's like, how do you police, you know, um, this kind of behaviour in environments where it's almost normalised to be misogynistic or, you know, to see sexual harassment as a normal thing like how do you police it it does feel like a mountain to climb but I think it's it's in documentaries like Athlete A and On the Record that definitely helps get the conversation get the conversation going definitely I just feel like men need to be more terrified (laughs) and men need to feel how women feel when they're walking home on their own like they need to be given that sort of fear and I think we've definitely seen a bit of that with the Me Too movement. We've sort of seen, um, you know, I've, I've heard stories from my friends, like, in, in their offices and how male behaviour has, has changed a little bit. Like, I think one of my friends was saying a few weeks back that a guy accidentally, like, brushed shoulders with him. He's like, oh, my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It, it, we need a bit more of that, do you know what I mean? We need, you know, not, we don't want to go the, the complete opposite way, but it's um, where men are completely scared to speak to any woman in the workplace or whatever, but it's... Um, we, we I feel like they do need a bit of that sort of fear that but I don't know we're born with that aren't we so yeah I was explaining this to um, my boyfriend um, kind of sort of we were having a bit uh, a bit of a debate about um, using uh, terms of endearment to women mm-hmm. that you don't use to men so you know some men will call women sweetheart and why that's offensive and and I mean, I'd like Joe is is very liberal and he's definitely a feminist. Um, but he was kind of saying very innocently, so he was like, "Oh, well, you know, if if I ever called someone love, it wouldn't be from a horrible place or a lecture place." And I'm like, "Yes, but that's, or in a way, that's your male privilege speaking because you ca- you have the luxury of knowing how you're saying it and knowing the connotations that come with it." Whereas from a woman's perspective, you know, you'll get you'll get one guy calling you sweetheart and he doesn't it's not innocent and it, it doesn't come from it doesn't come from a nice place. And also systemically, there's something about it. It's all context, isn't it? Like if, when you say something like that to me, it's fine. It's like a term of endearment. But there's something about a man, especially an older man saying and a, and a man who's like a delivery guy or like in some way is like offering you something that is yours or a service it makes you seem a bit less than it's sort of the way they say it it's like talking down to you a little bit I don't know and I don't again like it comes back to you what you said like I don't think I don't want um I don't want it to come to a point where you know men feel like they're 
uh, treading on eggshells as such but I do think we need to recognize when behavior has been normalized because you know we're living in a patriarchal society mm. um, that shouldn't be okay so you know if you're in a in a professional capacity if a guy's going to start calling me sweetheart I'm going to have a problem with that as much as him touching my arm or touching my leg there's a problem with that too like whether it comes from an innocent place or not it may come from an innocent place from him but historically it doesn't come from an innocent place I mean I had it when I worked in retail like this one manager who would always touch my hand when he was speaking to me like he put his hand over mine and sort of hold it and like it it was a bit like oh like I I didn't really know how to vocalize because I'd just started working there and I didn't know how to vocalize I don't feel comfortable with you doing that but you do it every single time and then it just obviously became a thing then because I never said anything but uh-huh. it, it it and then obviously with stuff like that you can then see how it goes on to become like other things as well but it is it is it, it's more that they just need to understand that like you don't know if you're touching someone who has had a past like experience with abuse and it could be triggering for them and you also just need to understand as another human being it's not even like a man to woman thing like boundaries like boundaries I was just uh, about to say that it just think it comes respect, down to boundaries respect like don't just you don't just go and like touch someone else's body unless you know them or like you've spoken to them or they've given you a signal that that's okay like it's just not it's not okay <laughs> well like sort of not defending it but sort of normalizing it and saying oh it comes from an innocent place that's actually a form of gaslighting because that makes it that makes it seem like a woman can't come forward and say well that makes me feel uncomfortable because uh, you know you've got people saying oh well they're coming from an innocent place they didn't know it was making you feel uncomfortable yeah but that doesn't make it right I, I should still be able to stand up and say I don't like you doing that that makes me feel uncomfortable yeah lots of people are seemingly coming from innocent places and then all the <laughs> you know it's like no that, that doesn't that yeah that 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 excuse just doesn't cut it anymore does it it's also about men needing to understand the um uncomfortable space like I think is it normal people that did it quite well um you know where Marianne is like saying like come to bed with me like come back to mine and he's like no you're drunk and he just kisses her goodnight and then he walks off yeah like, it's what we need more of as well like read the room do you know what I mean read when somebody is like like acknowledge when somebody is too drunk acknowledge when someone feels uncomfortable or ask if you're not sure ask them ask them do you feel uncomfortable or is this okay like it's, it's communication isn't it not just like assume I guess it comes back to what you were saying before like there is just an arrogance that like a lot of um is inherent in a lot of like males that it's just like they're born with it isn't it it's just like a especially white males it's like the highest you can be in society isn't it like in terms of privilege yeah um so I guess uh, aside from document hard-hitting documentaries as well sorry not light-hearted at all um have you have you been reading anything this week um I mentioned the Gloria Steinem book that I've started um also started um Natives by Carla um which is a book that Sam's had for a while now um so yeah, I'm going to start that. Um, he is, um, as well, that I didn't realise, he's Miss Dynamite's brother. Is it Miss Dynamite? <laughs> I don't know if I've got that wrong. That's No, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, but yeah, he's just a really... Um, like, if you just go on his Instagram and like watch a few of his videos or watch him speak in interviews, he's just very like articulate. He's just incredible. Um, so I'm excited to read more from his book because it's got um, 
amazing reviews as well. Um, and I finished um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, which I've spoken about before. Um, and at some point, I probably will do like a roundup of the resources that I've finished on my blog or somewhere like that. But um, it's just... I can't really say any more about it then. It's just an important book and it's a book everyone should read. Um, and there's just so much history that she goes through um, within that book as well. Um, and especially towards the end, I just like, there was a few times where my mouth fell open a little bit and I was just like, oh my God. I think it's when she has a phone, she has a phone conversation with um, Nigel Farage, I think is it? Um, and her discussing that phone conversation, I, I'm not going to spoil it for like anyone who's not read it, but it's just... It's just like the mind boggles, basically. Nigel Farage is just a bit of a weapon anyway, isn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah. There was a bit in it. I'm I was supposed to write this down because I wanted to mention it, actually. But I think there's a bit in it where he says something like, you should get out of the UK whilst you can and go and have children somewhere else because basically the UK's fucked. And I was like, as if you are trying to wrap up your racism in some sort of like, oh, here, I'm trying to help you. You should get out. Like, as if, like, the, just the, the audacity of what he was saying and just, like, it's just, a, again, a stark reminder that, like, racism exists. It exists within the UK and it exists within people that are that have political power. Um, everyone should read it. Um, so if you haven't, then definitely recommend And you can also get it on them. Um, Audible as well. Um, I sort of read half of it and then listened to the last half on Audible, which I'm really glad I did because it's narrated by um, Rennie as well. So it, it makes it even more powerful. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I actually have got it um, going to be the next book that I read after the book that I'm in the middle of reading at the minute. Um, and then, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna set, set two on it and start reading it because I think you're right. I think it's definitely a, a a hugely important book to be reading especially um in the current climate to really gain perspective on how far we've got to go well i've because i've been reading a few books but i'm gonna i think i'm gonna talk about the books that i've read on our next episode yeah i think i mean we've we've covered a um a lot of heavy topics yeah, i'm sorry <laughs> if this episode was a bit intense but i feel like um i don't it's an intense time isn't it and i think we're all consuming a lot of different things right now um and it's it's important isn't it it's like we're educating ourselves we're learning more about these um the abuse that's going on in the world and um but yeah hopefully the next episode will be slightly have some slightly lighter material for you all to enjoy um but should we wrap it up i think so i think we should leave it there and yeah give you guys a bit of food for thought <laughs> I think we all need to go and take a little bit of a, a breather after this episode, maybe. Um, but yeah, so we'll, I guess we'll check in with you guys again in a week or so. And yeah, we hope you're all doing well and looking after yourselves and the people around you. And we will speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.